Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport in association with Lacquer. Bicycle insurance powered by the community. Bonjour, bienvenue, welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling. We're back for the Tour de France. I'm Graham Wilgos, holding it all together this week, while Brad and Matt Stevens enjoy a little sortie around Brussels for this year's Grand Part. Why Brussels? Well, the Tour is celebrating it being 50 years since the greatest cyclist of all time. Not Brad, Belgium's Eddie Merckx won the first of his five yellow jerseys. Brad and Matt have been in the thick of it all weekend. Let's hear how they've been getting on. Thank you, Graham. Yes, I'm here with Matt Stevens on this week's show. We're here in Nivelle. We've travelled down after the team time troll and uh, found ourselves quite a nice little Ibis hotel, haven't we, Matt? Yeah, it looks like it's recently built. It's uh, very well appointed, very fresh, very, very well equipped. Yeah, and it's it's almost as if we're sat in like a, an actual purpose-built podcast centre right now. Especially the couches. Yeah, the couches. I'm, you're see. sitting on a little pink chair. I'm sitting on a pink yeah, a, a pink sofa. And it feels like I'm in a... You know when you walk around Ikea? I feel like I'm in Ikea, but in a good way. Yeah, I mean, this is, so this is my first time back at the Tour de France since 2012. Um, it's been amazing. I mean, I don't know, what, what have you made of the first weekend compared to the tours you've been on in recent years? <sighs> One thing that struck me is it just seems to get bigger and bigger, mate, doesn't it? It's just enormous. And obviously, it's very important celebrating you know, 50 years of Eddie pulling on the, on the, the Maillot Jean for the first time en route to his record five wins. But... The Belgians love cycling, and they have taken the tour to their hearts, haven't they? I mean, it's, it's everywhere. They love it. The weather's been fantastic. The crowds have blown me away. I mean, it's been, as we know, walking to the starts, and obviously you getting around, you've been stopped all the time, understandably, but just doing our job and getting from A to B has been not a nightmare. It's actually been a weird kind of strange pleasure because there's so many people come to see this great race. So the atmosphere, for me, I've been blown away. You know, a great opening stage, a great team time trial. The first couple of days, I think, have been amazing. I think, I think Brussels should be proud. With dominant winners as well. One yeah. team, Lotto Jumbo. I yeah. mean, who have thought that from the Giro, the criticism they took there with Primoz Rolic and the, the whole saga with that, the, the potential loss of the Giro d'Italia GC, all of a sudden, in the first weekend, they've won two stages and they've still got the yellow jersey. I mean, it's a bit of quite, quite, a, quite a weekend for them. Yeah, and I think when you think it's a perfect illustration of how a bike race can change in, in a moment, in an instant, Groenewegen hits the deck... But Turnison just turned, turned it around. I mean, he's an exceptional rider. We, we talked about this before, haven't we? He's, it was a surprise that he won, but he's a class bike rider. Um, and interestingly, back in 20, 2012, we've got a bit of hubris in the background. I'm just going to... We are in a, in a live environment. Sorry about that. But one of the interesting things about, uh, about Jumbo Vision is that Turnison won the cyclocross under-23 championships. And on the podium was Wout van Aert. Wout van Aert's in that team. Yeah. So... People forget that he's, he is a class, class bike rider. But yeah, to to reconfigure and pull off the win in front of Peter Sagan and Caleb Ewing um, was amazing. Yeah, Peter Sagan. What do you, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, when he hit the front yesterday, I thought he was going to win it. I thought that's it. We've seen first stage win for Peter Sagan. The usual story, green jersey. I mean, he picked up the first intermediate sprint yesterday. He's not in green, but... Um, it looks like he's well on the way already to securing that green jersey, which sounds ridiculous. Only we've only done one day, 
But um, what do you make of him? Have you seen much of Peter this weekend? I saw him coming to... I was in the... Uh, a couple of hundred metres after the finish um, and he bowled past me at about 40k an hour um, with a parachute behind him slowing down. Um, but he looked, hung- he looked hungry, he looked mean. He, he just gets it right for the tour, doesn't he? He's, yeah. had a, he's not had a typical Peter Sagan year. Obviously came good in Switzerland, picked up a couple of wins there. But um, looks dangerous. I cannot see him. But unless he crashes out the race or gets DQ'd, I cannot see anybody touching him again for the green jersey. But he looks, he looks good. And to, actually, tomorrow's stage three, with that kick up to the finish in Epinay, could suit him. That, we could yeah. see the first win for Sagan, I reckon, tomorrow. Or Caleb Ewan. I mean, he, yeah. he had a good run yesterday as well. But I think a lot of people don't realise of Peter. He has been through a divorce. I mean, that is not... He's only human at the end of the day. And obviously, he's been so dominant the last few years. He's got a small child. I mean, I think that, that kind of showed early season this year that Peter wasn't the usual Peter. I mean, it's such a disruption in his life and it must, it must have caused him quite a bit of pain. Yeah, um, and I think what we tend to forget is, uh, or what the public sometimes tend to forget is that, you know, sports people are, are people, they're humans, you know. Uh, they have the frailties, they're vulnerable, they have personal lives quite often as complex as you or I. And uh, yeah, I understand, I mean, I know a, a mate of mine is wrote, ghost wrote his biography and said that, you know, Peter Sagan for a quite a long period of time didn't have a, wasn't living in a house. He was just sofa surfing with mates, you know. Yeah. And this is Peter Sagan, he's, he's almost like the super invincible superhero. Um, but I think it's nice sometimes that, not that he's got marital problems, of course, that it Athletes like that level show a human side. I think it's really important. Yeah. And I think one noticeable absence who oh, yeah. we've become so used to seeing, haven't we, really, is Mark Cavendish. I mean, I've, I felt for him last week when I, when I heard the news. Um, Mark lives for this race. I've known Mark a long time, and the, I've, I've, ne- I've not met another person, really, who grafts as much as Mark. I mean, he really does put the work in. And I'm, coming off the back of the illness he had last year, he really wanted to make a statement this year at the Tour de France. And if the, the, the rumours are, are to, believed, to be believed, um, he was in the form of his life. Um, we'll never know because he's not here. But it, it, it is noticeable, isn't it, that Mark's not here? Because for so many years, this did, be, did become the Mark Cavendish show. Yeah, and he's at that point in his career, isn't he, where that record, the Eddie Merckx record, he's got 30 stages, 34 for Eddie, was almost within touching distance. And it's... And, one of the one of the guys that knows Mark exceptionally well is Rolf Oldag. Yeah. You know, in the, from the high road days and has seen him through, went to quick steps now with him at Dimension Data. And he's a, a man I know pretty well and a, a man that I trust. And um, I think he's a very good judge of when he knows a rider's coming into form. Um, so I think, and clearly there's a bit of power play going on at Dimension Data. You know, we're not in there. We don't know exactly no. the conversations that we've been had. What we've got to say is a lot of it is hearsay. But quite clearly, you know, Mark seemed very positive. He'd been up to, as Brian said on, on, on Eurosport, on, on, the, on the breakaway. Yeah. That, yeah, he, uh, Mark had been up to altitude. And you could tell, by the way, on social media, he looked happy and enjoying himself. Definitely, and was yeah. getting back into yeah. form. And, and with Rolf saying that he was in the same form as 2016, like you said, mate, we, we will never know. We'll but never it's, know, no. It's a big shame that he's, that he's not here. But, but the lads in the team, they've just got to get on with it. And, and I, to kind of wrap that bit up, I, I think Peter and, and, and Mark, and so Mark's been great on social media. He's, he's bitterly disappointed. He's going to say that, but he's still going to get behind the lads that he's friends with and the teammates. Yeah. And, and that, that shows, to me, a lot of class. And from a British point of view, I think Steve Cummins' entry into the race is superb as well. I mean, Steve almost gets overlooked in the modern-day cycling in terms of British success anyway, I think. You must never forget his Mond stage win a few years ago. The other one in the Alps, I can't remember, Pyrenees, wherever he won it a few years ago. I mean, whenever Steve wins, he always wins big. And uh, from a personal point of view, I've known Steve for a long, long time. I consider him one of my best friends in cycling. 
it's great to see him at this race again because he missed out last year and he was bitterly disappointed. Yeah, we bumped into him, didn't we, at the start yeah. on stage one and you know, did a double take when he saw you. I don't think he expected to see you sort of bump into him, but uh, he was smiling and looked happy. And, and that's a good thing. You know, when you see riders smiling and they look relaxed, um, there's obviously going to be pre-race nerves and stuff, but he was genuinely happy to see you. But no, I hope he pulls something off. I mean, yeah. uh, they've had a difficult year, let's, let's be honest with yeah. you. Uh, obviously, Zola got a good fourth place. Um, Edval Bosenhagen is going really well. But when you, Ben King's there, double stage winner at the Vuelta, when you look at the team they've got, even without Cav, it is pretty solid, but they've got no real overall aspirations. But they, they should really possibly pick up a couple of stages. And let's, it'll be wonderful to, for Steve to, to pull it back. He was third in the national TT, so clearly in reasonably good form. So, no, it's good to see him. Yeah, but they, they haven't really got a choice other than to, to, to try and win a stage, no. have they? No. I can't. I mean, they need it, don't they, really? I mean, that's kind of why they're here. They've got no, as you say, no overall aspirations. So I can't see success for them it has to be a stage win. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, of course, it, it's weird that we keep talking about absences from this race. But the other big absence that we, we, we've got to mention, although we're already two days in now, is, of course, the absence of Chris Froome. Yeah. You know, because let, let's be honest, the, the gravitational pull that Chris Froome has on this race for the last six, five or six years um, has been incredible. He kind of, I wouldn't say he is the Tour de France, but it kind of revolved around him almost. He's such Definitely, a pivotal yeah. figure in this race. Whether you like him or not, he is. Yeah. Um, and to have him taken away creates this strange kind of void that riders are now thinking, especially for the, well, obviously for the GC, I think a lot of riders think, I can win the Tour. Yeah. Um, I think it's good and bad for the Tour. You know, but the bottom line is, we're two days in, Chris isn't going to win the Tour, somebody else is. Uh, but it gives this interesting dynamic for Team Ineos. And what, what do you think of what's going to happen in the, in the squad there? Well, I mean, as you say with Chris, I mean, he, he's become synonymous with the Tour now. He's so recognisable. Um, I wasn't at the Tour last year, but I've been here this year, and we're talking about the success of the opening weekend in Brussels. I remember watching it on the TV last year and can you remember the kind of the hostility and the whole furore around Chris Froome's inclusion in the race? So as you say, love him or hate him, he is the best tour rider of our generation, certainly, and maybe would have gone down as one of the greatest had he won his fifth tour this year. I still think he can win another tour, um, but it does change the dynamic. I mean, Ineos have, for the first time in probably quite a number of years, have had a pretty quiet, easily opening weekend in terms of scrutiny and attention haven't they compared yeah. to certainly last year which was probably the height of it yeah yeah I mean I was I was on on site last year as well and at the starts and finishes like I am with you in 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 this race and um especially for the first the first week it was excruciating it was it wasn't a pleasant experience that and and the thing that winds me up about that without going into it too much is the fact they're just doing their job but yeah. no he they faced the the weight of expectancy in terms of delivering performance against the backdrop of, of a lot of hatred. I do mean, you think it that was, was it, because it was, it was just in France? Or do you think it would have been the same had they been in Belgium this year? I don't know. Because France I don't and know. Belgium, it's a different thing. Yeah, there's it? a completely different... You're right. It, you cross the border and there is a completely different kind of ethos almost, ideology. Um, but I, I still think, you know, I love the French, love the Belgians, but I still think the French are kind of smarting from the fact they've not won this great race for well, 30 yeah, years. Absolutely, you know? yeah. So, and they've seen... Brit domination. Um, it's difficult. It's a difficult bit of pill to swallow, yeah. and especially with all, obviously the controversy that was swirling around as well. That just adds a bit of fuel. So, but he's not here. And Ineos, well, the second in the team time trial, good performance in the hot seat all day long. Chatting to Nico Portal, he said they've never had to go off first. That was quite interesting. But they set a scorching time. It was a good team time trial today, wasn't it? Brilliant, absolutely superb. But. It's amazing to think that we haven't got Chris Froome yet. We've got two other guys in that team that yeah. we're still touting as possible winners of the Tour de France. Of course, Geraint Thomas, winner last year, but Egan Bernal as well, which is amazing, really. You know, you've got three guys in that team, including Chris, who's not here, 
that are potential tour winners and you would put down as favourites for the tour. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? The strength and depth. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the interesting one, just to rewind to the Giro, the day before the Giro, I spoke to Dave Brailsford. Uh, I said, oh, shame you've lost Egan. He said, yeah, it is. But he said, it gives the, young, the other young lads a chance. We've, we've never been in a position where we know we're not going to win a race. We're not going to win a Grand Tour. But he said, um, that means Egan will ride the tour. And he said... That'll put the cat amongst the pigeons, won't it? He said that that will put G and Froome on the back foot. And he said, yeah. spice it up a little bit. Chris isn't here, unfortunately. But imagine going into the race with Chris Froome, Egan Bernal, three, you, you can feel the podium with those three riders. And the tension that that kind of brings as well. There's a, clearly a mutual respect amongst those three riders, although Chris isn't here. But um, individually, now Geraint wants to win this race. Egan Bernal, I would imagine, wants to win this race. Is the most prodigiously talented young rider we've seen, I think, in a in a Long decade time. or so. I mean, yeah. we know he could be one of the youngest winners of this race. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. And the first big rendezvous is going to be on stage six. But it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah it's going yeah. to be fascinating. Yeah, I'm more keen to see how Geraint's going to step up. Really, there's been all sorts of talk about whether he's fat, thin. I've heard all sorts this weekend. He looked fantastic when I was in the bunch yesterday. Um, but the one thing with G, as I've known for years with him, especially on the track program, nothing phases him. He's one of the men, most mentally strong riders I've ever come across. Whether he's at 50%, 80% or 100%, he will race in the same manner and get the result he gets from his physical capabilities. And that could win him another Tour de France because G at 90% is still an incredible white rider. Um, so that'll be interesting. I'm really keen to see that on Thursday, come Thursday. He looked great in the team time trial today. Um, but G can float around in a team time trial, make it look easy anyway. So it's not exactly a great indicator as to whether this guy can win the tour or not. But Thursday, definitely. That's going to be interesting to see how they play that with Bernal and G. You know, where, how, they, how they run up Planche de Belfi in the he, final there. Yeah, I mean, it's a climb you know very well, isn't it? But it, the, the thing that interested me and raised a lot of eyebrows, again, just going back a few days before the tour, was the tweet or, or the press release by Ineos to say, joint leaders, you know, Bernal... And, and, and Geraint, you know, yeah. joint leaders. No, not like Egan is going to ride. It's like the, his performance in Switzerland, of course, won Paris-Nice, Tour of Swiss. I mean, he's going exceptionally well. Amazing. Um, but I'm just wondering how that must have affected Geraint, you know, to be told, no, he's not, it's equal footing. You know, I, I, but you said he's resilient, but it's still, what do you, how, how, what do you think he would be thinking that Egan's, Egan's earned that? Or do, what, what, it's, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? It is a tough one, but I think G is wise enough to know that he's not had the greatest of runs this year. Yeah, that's fair um, enough, yeah. I think he's benefited from that joint leadership thing, although last year they did keep saying it was for Chris Fee. To the cameras, anyway, I think behind the scenes, I think there was no doubt in anyone's mind, really, that it was going to be G. I think that team's got used to riding to its strengths at that moment. You can only deal with facts you've got at the time and I think G will be aware of that he knows that at another race at another time it will be him that is the leader so you know they they can't be deluded and they have to be realistic and they have to ride to their strengths and you'd say the man in form at the moment is Bernal the man who should be commanded the respect is G as last year's winner I don't think it's a bad tactic to employ G certainly for one minute probably wouldn't say given the choice do you want Bernal to sacrifice himself for you on the Planche de Belfi on Thursday? Yeah. G would probably be the first to say, not so sure you should do that, just in case, because that adds extra pressure to G. Yeah. So it's not a bad thing to be going along over the next couple of weeks as a kind of joint leadership. Yeah. And the Planche de Belfi, although it's a, it's, a, it's a crucial climb compared to the beasts at the back end of this race, I mean, it's a, Planche de Belfi is about 5.5k and they've got the added bit at the top. At the so end, about which is really seven, steep, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. steep, but it's short. It's, but... It will give us a bit of an indication 
on who's yeah. who's got good legs. But it's, it's it's early days, isn't it? Very very early days. And it will give us an indicator as to kind of who they're going to sacrifice early doors. I yeah. mean, we've got Wout Powell's, haven't we? They've got such a strong team. Yeah, they've got they? an amazing team. Um, I can't wait to see it. Really, um, I think. If they both get there on zero time to each other, as it were, no time losses, no more crashes in the next few days, I think it's going to be a really interesting couple of weeks. Viewers can watch every minute of the 2019 Tour de France with all 21 stages broadcast live from kilometre zero, anytime, anywhere, only on Eurosport and Eurosport Player. For the first time ever, 2012 Tour de France winner Sir Bradley Wiggins will feature as an in-race motorbike reporter delivering unrivaled insight from the peloton, bringing fans closer to the action than ever before. Don't miss a moment of the 106th Tour de France live on Eurosport and Eurosport Player. Try it for yourself on the app or at eurosport.co.uk. This is the first time you've been back to the Tour. We talked about the atmosphere in the Tour, but this is the first time you've been back to the Tour since you won it. Mm. And I've asked you, as we've been walking around, what it, what it feels like. But just tell us, what, what's it like for you? Because it, it must be quite strange, really, because you've been so well-received. I mean, people are stopping you all the time. But yeah. for you, as a bloke, th- you know, well, how did it make you feel when you stepped out of the hotel, walking along, and then you're there, you're, you're in it. You're living and breathing the tour, but in a completely different way. Yeah, I think I've, because I've been away long enough, I've detached from it to the extent I have that I see it for what it is now. I see it for the circuit is Match just spilt half a beer down <laughs> <laughs> we can leave that in. I totally just... I've only had half a pint. <laughs> he couldn't keep it all in his mouth. Sorry. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, I've, I've come back to the tour. I'm detached enough from it now that I don't have an ego anymore. I don't have any, I'm not, I don't see myself as an athlete. Um, and I can see it from sort of an external perspective, which is actually quite a healthy thing to do. It means I can commentate and give my view on a sport that I love and see it as I see it. There's no allegiances. There's nothing. There's no, you don't have to be horrible to anyone. It's just calling it as you see it, really. And it's actually a really enjoyable way to come back to the race. Um, I'll never I'll never get my head around all the kind of stopping and photos and this, that and the other. I feel such a... It's quite embarrassing because I feel like I'm not that person anymore. That person's dead. Um, but at the same time, it's great to be back. And, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just feel honoured to be back here. And especially on the motorbike thing. The motorbike has been absolutely fantastic. You do like having a whale of a time, mate. You know, yeah, uh, it's just such know. a different way to see it. And it's actually a real honour to be back in that peloton, seeing old faces and kind of seeing the race from a different point of view. And also for me... Um, you know, I, I, I feel like I see things, diff- other things people don't see really, and, and those things might be um, feel obvious to me. But having spoke to a few people, it's like just just say what you see. It's like that game show we used to have. Yeah. Say what you see. Say what you see. Yeah. You know, because not everyone sees it like that. And the most obvious things to me, or the things that I take for granted, actually are probably the most interesting things to the viewer. And you definitely start to see it from the viewer's point of view. And it's not that you're not just commentating a race before. You've actually been on a motorbike before, have you? So it's no, first. No. It's a first of. of it's a first. Of, of yeah. and, and how did that feel? Luckily, you're facing forwards, not facing backwards. Like no, I mean, I as I say, I really enjoy it. It's just as crazy in the convoy as it is on the bikes, really. But I think it's actually going to be better. I can't wait to the mountain stage. I think that's going to be quite something. You know, seeing people getting dropped and riding past them. I was fortunate enough today to be behind Mitchelton Scott and Simon Yates got dropped and we were literally metres away from him as we went past him and he was still trying his hardest and I couldn't. The fan in me came out and fist pumped and said, go on, Simon, keep going, you know, because you just want him to do so well. It's, it's funny that you... You know, you say you've, you're, you're, you're a different man, you're, the Bradley Wings are one, the Tories, and you're distant past, you're not that person, but you, you still love it, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, little, when these little moments and you come out, you're, you, know, you're a, you, you love the sport, you love the history of the yeah. sport, and, and because you, you've experienced it, you know, you know what it's like to suffer 
and you just want to get behind these guys. Like, it just, it's just interesting from my perspective, seeing you reacting like that. Yeah. I find that fascinating. Yeah, I just because it's, I grew up, I, had I not won the tour and had a career, I'd have still been sat here watching the tour. I'm just, I have a platform and a voice to be able to give an opinion. There's probably plenty of people like me, maybe not, that haven't ridden it, but I think, I think, I think it's very rare that you have someone who loves the sport, knows the sport inside out. Like a, you, know, you, you know your stuff as well, Matt. Um, that have also raced at that level. So it gives you like that sort of sound like Dave, that three-pronged attack. You know, you've got the passion, <laughs> having done it, the love and the knowledge, which, you know, I think is quite a rare thing. A lot, Lots of cyclists that I've been teammates with, they hate the sport. They're not interested in the history. They're not interested in the past. They don't know half the what's happened in the past. Um, and they just did it as a me- as a job, really. So it's um, it's just, I say, very, I'm in a very fortunate position that I get to then be able to make a living still and, and do a job that I really enjoy going to every day. And you've been carrying around three yellow jerseys in your bag as well, haven't you? I just <laughs> bought three random ones just because, well, they weren't random. They were, um, so there's, I've got Sean Yates' yellow jersey. It's it, Tomorrow is the 8th of July. It's 25 years tomorrow since Sean Yates took yellow on that famous stage into Wren. When Jean-Luc Abortolami won the stage and Sean Yates took the yellow jersey and his famous comments after to Paul Sherman, went, Sean, you've done it, man. You've got the yellow jersey. And he goes, unbelievable. Just shows you. It's not over to the fat lady sings. That's what he said. Brilliant. That's typical Sean, you know. And um, I brought another one 50 years ago. I brought one of Eddie Merckx's yellow jerseys from 1969, Faima. And I have Fausto Coppi's yellow jersey with me from... 1949, which is 70 years ago. So, kind of, I thought if anyone wanted to look at them at some point during this race, I'll just whip them out, you know, because they're not everyone's cup of tea, but they're certainly mine. They're, they're, I, I, I must admit, I was I carried your bag on my Brompton to the start yesterday, yeah. um, and I had to put some of my stuff in there because I, I couldn't carry two bags at once. We managed to create uh, with quite an inventive Alex our camera and I sort of created a way of hooking it over the handlebars so I managed to carry it but I had a bit of a peek inside but no, I didn't rummage too much through your stuff <laughs> but obviously <laughs> there's three know. there's three yellow three yellow jerseys there yeah. and I did I put, pulled it out and I knew I knew what they I knew what they were and it it's amazing I mean um yeah. and I, I do I do love that those to to kind of the official not not just the, not just the aficionados but Holding something like that in your hand, it, it, the, you can feel something quite tangible. The, the sense of history, you know, coursing through your fingers and your body. It's to hold the jersey like that, mate. Is yeah. is something very, very special. Especially, especially copy for crying out loud. It's almost like a like. Well, a that's what's so sport, special you know? about it to me is we're here now on the Tour de France talking about. It was the same seventy years ago when Fausto yeah. Copy wrote the race. It was a yellow jersey. It had the Henri de Grange symbol on it. You know, they were riding fundamentally, they were riding for the same thing over three weeks to be the fastest man on a bike. Yep. The scene was very different post war, no buses, no social media, no live feed, no media center like, like us, no podcasting. No. I mean, the last three stages alone in 1949, the last stage in 1949 was 340 kilometers from Nancy to Paris just for the procession. The stage before was 135 kilometres mountain time trial. And the stage before that was 385 kilometres. I mean, that was just the last three days of the Tour de France. Then, you know, imagine changing your own tyres, all those things. They didn't have a nice little abyss to come back to. I mean, it's quite phenomenal, really, what those guys went through. And the iconography in, in the photos when you look back. And these guys, Bernal, G, all these guys are still trying to do the same thing, just yeah. in a different environment. But fundamentally, they're still trying to race a bike around France for three weeks in the fastest time. Yeah, and I, I think that sense of history, like things have moved on. We're racing in the modern era, and it's and I still I still love racing. But I think, and if anybody 
is inspired by that little part of the conversation we've just had. You go and read about the tour. Go and read about the heritage of the Giro, the Vuelta, the Tour de France, the classics. Riders using wooden wheels, riding ha- riders having to repair their own bikes, riders uh, cheating and taking trains, all sorts of... Shen- I mean, the, the stories are, are wonderful, aren't they? They, they, yeah. they are they're heroic, um, they're passionate, they're, they're funny, um, but uh, they're, it's that humans over, overcoming... It's, it, overcoming adver- it's all sorts of adversity, and, and that's what makes the, the, the symbol of the yellow jersey and the, and the, and the, the pink jersey so, so special, doesn't yeah. it? You know? And, and as, as we were talking about Sean Yates there, Sean held it for one day in 1994... He was a selfless rider that rode in the, you know, for other people. And I remember watching that at 14, and that was his reward that one day where he got yellow. And I don't think there was no rider then that wasn't happy for Sean. I mean, you, you know Sean well. You raced in the same team. We grew up watching Sean yeah. in, in a time where we're spoilt yeah. for British talent now. We're talking yeah. about Chris Froome. We're talking about Grant Thomas. We're talking about the Yates brothers. We're talking about Mark Cavendish, Stephen Cummins. It's phenomenal. Back then, when I was growing up as a teenager, we had Robert Miller was on the way out. Um, Sean Yates obviously took yellow Chris Borman burst onto the scene and took yellow we'd waited for 30 40 years for a yellow jersey since Tom Simpson yeah. and we had two in the same race that year in 94 yeah. Chris Borman won the prologue and then Sean Yates took yellow I mean it was quite a different time cycling then as a British fan to, to what it is today isn't it Matt oh yeah totally I mean I remember watching that stage and can I give my little leaflet anecdote because yeah, it's just you know like it, you know you've won what you've won I haven't quite won at that level, but I've been on leaflets to do with the Tour de France. So when, that, when the Tour came to Kent, somehow the organisers found this photo of me riding Tour de Hopfields, a race which I actually won. Premier what year Calendar. did you win it? 92. 90, 93, I think I won Hop, Hopfields. No, 93. Was it? I won the Tour de Peak in 93. Shane, Shane Sutton won it in 93 because I was at the finish at Ashford. The Criterium. Flipping heck. That's, that's knowledge, that is. Yeah. But anyway, your ridiculous knowledge aside... On the Tour de France in in the UK, in, in Kent leaflet, I'm on the front cover, mate. Right of the leaflet. Are you still get a royalty for that? This a little bit, yeah. Every now and again, a little check comes through, <laughs> so I might pop to Burger King for some nuggets. Uh, off that's the back McDonald's. Of that. Yeah, that's McDonald's. What, what what are the chicken? What's the chicken option? That's in? today's question for the viewers out there. Yeah, what are the nuggets called in Burger King? Yeah, because I don't, I don't know. Any, Alex is, is shaking his head. Pete Pete shaking his chicken head. chicken fingers. Chicken fingers, who knows? But yeah, please get in touch. Uh, Hashtag homocycling. Listeners, it's time to tell you a bit more about our sponsor, Lacquer. Lacquer is a smarter way of insuring your bike and your gear. It's a community of cyclists joining together to save each other money. Lacquer covers all the basics like theft and accidental loss and damage, both at home and abroad. It'll also cover you in sportives and competition races, so long as you're not riding in the pro peloton. How does Lacquer work, you ask? Well, instead of charging you a fixed premium, with Lacquer you only pay a small share of the community's claims cost and your share is proportionate to how much you insure. Lacquer locks in a maximum price cap to make sure there are no nasty surprises, even in months with lots of claims amongst the community. And when there are no claims that month, you could even pay nothing at all. Rest assured, claims are accepted fast, usually within 24 hours. On average, Lacquer's members have saved 61% on bike insurance, so why don't you investigate the benefits for yourself? Find out more at lacquer.co.uk and enter the promo code WIGGINS to get £10 off. That's lakea.co.uk and the promo code WIGGINS. Now, a lot going on out in Brussels, but there's always time for an Ask Brad. 
Here it is. So, Brad, question for you. Did you realise the amount of activity that goes on behind the bunch within the team cars? I think you experienced a bit of it yesterday. The coming and going, mechanicals, feeding, you know, archibargy. It's, um, yeah, some impressive um, driving schools back there in the team cars, which I maybe you weren't aware of. Cheers. Have fun. Well, Brady, that a rather long-winded question from Sean there. Normally a man a few words, but what's your answer to that? Yeah, I mean, um, I always love listening to Sean. You He's know, great, he isn't he? Just <laughs> goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, I, I was surprised by that, actually, Sean, to be honest. That just the carnage behind, really, in terms of, especially as it got faster and faster and faster, smaller roads funneling down through traffic furniture. You know, you've got the... I'm in a convoy of motorbikes on the left. There's the convoy of cars. And then somewhere between that, riders are filtering through. It's quite something, really, just to see. I don't think I have fully appreciated ever just not only the race, but behind it, the cavalcade of vehicles, the amount of vehicles, the amount of press motorbikes, TV motorbikes, photography motorbikes. It's quite something. And it's amazing that it somehow all functions, really, because every kind of couple of hundred meters, you've got a motorbike regulator which is normally an ex-rider on the back of a motorbike. There's a guy called Frank Perk, who I was at Francis de Jure with. They all work for ASO. There's another one in the breakaway regulator is uh, Yannick Talabardon, who I was at Credit Agricole with. They now all work for ASO, and it's their job to keep all the motorbikes behind them. And if you want to go ahead to the break, you have to ask the regulator, and they say if it's a good time or not. If there's th- It's their decision if it's safe enough for you to pass the peloton. So it's quite... It's amazing that... Th- the organisation in the race, just to keep safety, really, to to the riders, ultimately, which is what we're here for. Um, but it functions, and it always has, and you don't appreciate that as a rider until you see it behind. I'd, I'd echo that sentiment. I mean, uh, once you've been a rider, I mean, and yet a lot of riders end up as direct sportives. I've ended up as, you know, DS of a small team, and then uh, working for media, but also I was a race controller at the Tour of Britain, like managing what you were just talking about so managing it's on a smaller scale but it's still i mean it was, it was one of the tours that, that you rode the tour of britain you rode where you've got to run the race safely from a to b and you've got these 40 or 40 or 60 motorbikes and you've got to use that resource wisely with and the, the primary thing is basically making sure that everybody's safe you have a duty of care uh and it's not until you kind of live it and see it that you think, oh, my God, somebody's actually in co- ridiculously in control of this. But like you say, you know, there are scrapes, there are accidents. But generally speaking, the Tour de France moves safely from A to B. And it's a, it's a, I think it's pretty much logistical wizardry, I'd call it. Yeah. But it's amazing, isn't it? And to tie up this week's podcast, I'll ask you a question, Matt, off the back of that. All right. And in your time in race organisation, what was the most nerve-wracking, most responsible moment you ever had in the part, as part of the organisation of a bike race? Pushing you off Ooh, at the Olympic Games. I was thinking, oh, I was at Tour Britain, the lead car in the, tour, in the uh, Olympics. No, it, it was actually, I was, I can't, I would, mate, I, you could put it at the beat, I was in it, holding you up. So pushing Matt you helped on the start me up ramp. For, the, for the viewers out there, listeners, <laughs> at the Olympic time trial in London, I came up onto the ramp and Matt was my, you held me up, didn't we? Yeah. Before did the countdown to start. Yeah. The pusher offerer, yeah. and uh, bear in mind and if about. If you look at photos of you, you look terrified. I was nervous, mate. I was and like, if you remember, when what happened to Leo, Luis Leon Sanchez before me? Yeah, his chain snapped on the ramp, and I thought it was me. I th- I just, my heart sank. Uh, I, I, oh my god! But thank goodness it wasn't my fault. Um, but no, that was a big moment. You had was a volunteer's lot. T-shirt, didn't you? I did have. A, I got a volunteer slacks as well. Still got them. Um, you were the games maker. I was a games maker, mate. Yeah. 
What a, what a day. So far since what, what a day. And now I only live around the corner. I can go there and just reminisce now, mate. Six years ago. Indeed. Brilliant. That's it for this episode of The Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Thanks to our sponsor, Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. We'll be back next Monday with myself and Brad back in the studio with special guest Sean Yates. In the meantime, a reminder that you can watch Brad on a motorbike following the peloton and every minute of the Tour de France live from kilometre zero, anytime, anywhere, only on Eurosport and Eurosport Player. Plus, you can follow Eurosport on Twitter and Instagram at Eurosport underscore UK, or you can find us on Facebook. So from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, share your thoughts and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. We'll see you next week. Until then, adieu. The Bradley Wiggins Show is a Muddy Knees Media production for Eurosport. 